You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Romillo, credentialed reporter and the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. On Wednesday night, the Heat took on the Milwaukee Bucks just 24 hours after one of the worst losses in team history. They were once again without Jimmy Butler, out with an ankle injury, and Eric Spolstra recognized the need for a change to his starting lineup, inserting Avery Bradley and Andre Iguodala, who did not play on Tuesday in order to preserve his energy for the second night of a back-to-back set. And to me, that proved to be a huge difference maker after the Bucks set a record for the most made three-pointers in NBA history, they were brought down to earth and hit on a much more manageable 39% of their 41 attempts from behind the arc. The Heat were still down by five at the half, and the Bucks managed to build a lead of 14 points in the third quarter, and it seemed like Miami would once again get blown out. But some timely shooting from Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero, and Kelly Olenek helped cut the lead to three with Milwaukee up 91-88 to at the end of the third quarter in the fourth. Miami showed some incredible resilience, holding Milwaukee to just 17 points in the last period while scoring 31 points of their own, eventually evening their record at 2-2 with a 119-108 victory. Goran tied Giannis Antetokounmpo with 26 points to lead all scorers. Tyler chipped in 21 of his own, and Bam Adebayo, a night after being criticized widely on Heat Twitter for not being so aggressive, had a big night with 22 points to go along with 8 rebounds and 10 assists, 2 rebounds shy of a triple-double, along with 2 blocks and a steal. Giannis did have a triple-double of 26 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists, but Miami got the win, and that's the big story of the night. The resilience of this team, after getting blown out as badly as they did, Eric Spolster talked about it pregame, that when the team met today on Wednesday, there was a lot of Still lingering resentment and anger, frustration, embarrassment after getting blown out as badly as they did. It wasn't quite apparent whether or not those emotions would manifest in a positive way. He made the change to the starting lineup, something I'll talk about in the next segment and how much that might impact Miami's chances of success moving forward. But as far as Wednesday night's game was concerned, they were able to harness some of that frustration, and you could tell that they just showed a lot more energy moving forward. They were really, really intense early on, even when they were down by a big lead, by a big deficit late in the game. They still managed to find a way to claw back, and this is a team that we've grown to love. We identify with this team that shows grit and resilience, and it was nice to see them show that kind of effort. And I think that would have, even if they hadn't won the game, and it's always nice to have a victory that you can fall back on, I think that was the bigger story, though, was that you weren't quite sure what they were going to go. Teams in the past, I think, and even Heat teams in the past where they didn't have much talent, they were without their best player in Jimmy Butler, at least their second best player in Jimmy, and still they showed the kind of energy, grit, intensity, all the intangibles everybody talks about. And that, to me, was what really stood out. It's just that they refused to lose. They had everything going against them when Milwaukee built that lead, and they were still able to find a way. I think Goron, in particular, just refused to let this team die. But then you also have to you know, make some points about Tyler Hero, who really stepped up, had some big shots down the stretch there. Kelly coming off the bench. It was an overall team effort. A number of guys contributed that you didn't expect. Even when Precious Achua wasn't playing, 
particularly well. Uh, they didn't have Mo Harkless minutes. They didn't have Myers Leonard minutes. So it was a shortened rotation. Again, without Jimmy, and overall, this team just showed the kind of resilience that you've come to identify with this Heat team over the years. And to me, that was just the, the huge factor right there. That was the deciding point for Miami's favor was that they just refused to to fall to this Milwaukee team two nights in a row and that they showed the kind of intensity after getting, uh, you know, the pride. That's what it is. It's They showed pride. They were so embarrassed the night before. And you don't know how they're going to respond. Other teams without that kind of pedigree of winning, probably would just let another loss pile up there because it doesn't matter because it's a regular season, because you're out missing Jimmy, all these different excuses that you could use and fall back on. But Miami, to their credit, showed the kind of, again, strength, tenacity, all the different things that you want to identify with this team. And I, I can really appreciate that. And I think that was the big story for me, was watching this team find a way to bounce back there. But Goran Dragic... As an individual player, I mean, he just continues to turn back the clock. I don't think we can say enough about it. I, I, look, people are still talking about whether or not his jersey is going to hang from the rafters. I'm a little – it's not that that conversation's tired. I, I feel like we've just gone so used to discrediting what Gorn can do, but he has just been so phenomenal. And, and we're, we're starting to appreciate it, I think, largely as a fan base when he has these moments here where he, he shows – that toughness as a, as an individual player where he puts up the points that he does, where he just shows grit and he just continues to find a way to win. Those things really resonate with a fan base, but he's been doing this for his whole tenure here in Miami. I, I mean, again, my point with Gorn is that the team just didn't win a lot during those years in between Dwayne's earlier years with, with, with Goron uh, alongside the team and when Chris Bosh was still there. And then now with Jimmy, he's not the, the key scorer that he once was, but he's still a major contributor and a big part of their success. And on a night like tonight with no Jimmy in there, Goron really stepped up. And, and that kind of stuff, a month or two after his injury, like consider that in October – he wasn't. I thought there were questions about whether or not he'd retire, and here he is playing at such an insanely high level. It is amazing to see. He doesn't have that same burst, although he still goes to 100 miles an hour as quickly as anybody. He still shows that elite level to stop on a dime, something I tweeted during the game because he just has perfect body control when it comes to stopping immediately, something that he's always displayed over the course of his career. It's not necessarily about that that end-to-end -end speed that a Russell Westbrook or a John Wall have you know, and, and display regularly when they were fully healthy. With Goran, it was never about that elite quickness. It was just his ability to stop and full body control, and his, that shot was falling. He had a phenomenal night shooting where he went 9 of 17 overall, 4 of 7 from 3-point range, and again, 26 points in 27 minutes. Great night for Goran. You also get a big night from Avery Bradley, and that was huge. Without Jimmy Butler, it fell on somebody to be a defensive stopper along the perimeter, and now Bam had some phenomenal stretches there. Nobody guards Giannis Antetokounmpo better than Bam, and, and I think you look at Antetokounmpo's final stat line, and obviously he had a huge game. A night after he went with, you know, in single digits, he did not break the double-digit mark, breaking a streak of I don't even know how long. But for Bam, there were just key moments there where he was able to move his feet well, force a bad shot from Adetokounmpo or a turnover. Phenomenal defense overall. But Avery Bradley just was really, really great. You look at Drew Holiday and what he was doing defensively, not just on Tuesday night, but also on Wednesday. But 
that was what Bradley was doing on Wednesday night. He held Chris Middleton to three of fifteen percent shooting. I mean, that is just that is terrible shooting. Zero for four from three point range. Three of fifteen overall from the field. Eight points for for Middleton, an all star, a guy who looked phenomenal on Tuesday night. He was absolutely brought down to earth, and I think a big part of that was Avery's overall defense. He also chipped in a phenomenal 16 points and six of 11 shooting, uh, two of six from three point range. So he continues to show that ability to space the floor. Just a really really solid night for Bradley. I think he's a huge difference maker for Miami. And and if you're looking at a comparison between this team and last year's squad. Obviously, you're missing or you have some kind of a gap there at the four, something that Jay was able to provide, Jay Crowder, that is, or that you could get some minutes from Avery Bradley and others. But while you had Kendrick Nunn scoring at a high level for most of last regular season, now you've got the flip side of that where you've got a stopper like Bradley who can go in there and you can just let him loose. He he just hounds everybody on the perimeter. So effective, so good. It was really nice seeing him play at a very high level. And a shout-out to Olenek, who had a team-high plus-minus of plus 14. He finished with 15 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, and a block in 29 minutes of action. You could see this was the good version of Kelly. He had a, that big block at the end of the half uh, to, to prevent an easy score from the Bucks, and you could see him getting fired up, and then that led to some timely shooting from him when Miami was making their push in the third and fourth quarter. Really, really great overall showing from the bench as well. Again, without Precious Achua playing really solid minutes. Uh, Mo Harkless didn't play, like I said. Kendrick Nunn, nine minutes where he scored only three points and one of three from the floor. You still got some key contributions from Dragic. Gabe Vincent played 15 minutes, showed some real shooting punch, obviously. Two of five from the uh, three-point line. Two of six overall for seven points. Good good night from him. But Olenek and Dragic were huge difference makers to go with a revised starting lineup that I think should get some serious consideration moving forward. The Heat are off until New Year's Day when they'll face the Dallas Mavericks who were blown out by the Charlotte Hornets on Wednesday, so it should be an interesting matchup. But again, I've got some thoughts on that starting lineup moving forward before I answer your listener questions here on the number one Miami Heat podcast for the latest news, rumors, and analysis. If you're ready to get into some betting online, there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust. That's betonline.ag. If you sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag, use that promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. The NFL playoffs are about to kick off. You've got the NBA going on. So much to bet on. And of course, BetOnline has you covered. Nobody that we trust. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action and don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast, get daily picks and quick heading advice from experts to make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe to Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get podcasts. This is going to be a little different. I'm incorporating some of your listener questions to address an overall change in the starting lineup, which I think is necessary moving forward. This question comes in from Yuli, who writes in, I like the Heat having a deep and very flexible roster. Do you think there will be a clear starting five emerging nonetheless? And then this question comes in via email from Dustin, who writes, 
is it an overreaction to think that Dragic as a starter would be better for this team right now? They lead the league in turnovers and overall haven't looked world-beating on offense. I get the desire to let Tyler grow into the role of a starting primary ball handler, and maybe it's easier to stomach his growing pains early in the season, but the offense has looked most potent when Dragic is on the floor, and there are too many good teams at the top of the East to lose ground this early. Am I overreacting? It's only been three and a half games, and Jimmy has played one and a half of them, but it hasn't looked great, and Spo definitely isn't set on any semblance of a regular lineup that's par for the course though so to Yuli's point yes the Heat do have a deep and flexible roster but even now early on and this kind of ties into what Dustin was writing I think it's important for Spo to find that right match that balance because yes versatility helps until it doesn't you know you you don't want to have with Miami's deep roster sometimes there are players that are one-dimensional they're either good on offense or good on defense and they never quite tie together unfortunately there are some players like Myers or in Mo Harkless who just haven't been able to step up in any of their respective strengths that chips away at some of Miami's alleged depth uh, look I, I do think this is a very deep team but I don't know if that right now there is a clear starting five that has emerged and to Dustin's point to tie it together, I don't think Dragic as a starter makes a lot of sense right now. I get all of what he's saying, though. As soon as he comes in, he's an immediate stabilizing force. And yes, their offense does look significantly better with Dragic as in there. That's partly due to his, again, calm, his demeanor, his ability to control the pace, to initiate offense on his own, to get others going simultaneously. With Tyler... It's almost like it's either or, and it's a point that I keep making that when Tyler is on the floor together with Duncan Robinson, I don't think Duncan is maximized because Tyler is so often looking for his shot and that when he tries to force the pass to the others, that leads to some of those turnovers that Miami has been well, particularly bad about, egregiously bad. They forced, uh, again, uh, Milwaukee had forced 22 turnovers against Miami on Wednesday night. And that's it, you know, it was just as bad on Tuesday night also. And it does look sloppy. There are a lot of bad passes there. Bam Adebayo hasn't looked particularly sharp either. And I think he's trying to figure out this balance. And Spo mentioned after the game that when it comes to Bam, and of course with Jimmy on the lineup, Adebayo is shouldering so much of the offensive load, trying to initiate offense. I think that some to some degree it falls on Tyler as well. I, I just... To me, I, I, the criticism of Tyler seems so unwarranted because, one, he's 20. He's figuring this out in his second season. Adebayo mentioned it postgame that Hero is kind of figuring out how to step up and evolve as a starter where he was just a role player before. I, I think that's the, the key evolutionary step for him in the future is to become a full-time starter. But I have to disagree with... Eric Spolster's decision at this point, and I know it's early, and maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I, too, Dustin, am overreacting. But I think that Tyler is probably not best as a starter. I think he's better as a closer. I think he's better as a contributing scorer. That's where he feels more comfortable. He talked about that post game. that I, I think once he is just allowed to go and get after his shot, he's just so much more effective right now. He just doesn't have the chops to balance it yet. I think that's going to happen. He's a great passer, but he can't necessarily initiate offense the way a Goran Dragic can. And so it's not quite fitting the way it should. And look, all of this comes with a huge grain of salt in that Jimmy Butler 
as Dustin mentioned, hasn't played for two and a half of the four games that Miami has played. So with the exception of the Pelicans win that was pretty even-sided uh, from Miami's point of view, I, I don't know that we've seen what this team could really look like. And maybe with Jimmy out there as the stabilizing force that Goron does provide when he comes off the bench, maybe that'll allow Tyler to have the ball less in his hands to initiate offense and more looking for his shot. Maybe they can get Duncan going early on. And look, this kind of also ties in together with Bam's post-game comments that, again, he's getting a lot of crap for or did get a lot of crap for on Wednesday. I think a lot of those voices have been quieted, although I'm sure even now there's probably a, a large percentage of people who are saying, well, why don't he do this on Tuesday night? It's a fine line, and I, I think it's important to understand that. It's like you're, you're trying to – get other players going because that's what has made Miami so successful is being able to initiate this pass happy offense where you move the ball and you've seen even Jimmy Butler an underrated you know passer throughout his career but also a very good playmaker he passes up wide open shots at the rim he passes up open looks from the perimeter because he's trying to get other guys going to maybe what would be more high percentage shots, you know, if you're in the hands of a, a better shooter like a Duncan Robinson or even a Tyler Hero. And I think when you get players like Bam at a bio, yeah, he could take that 18-footer. He's not comfortable yet stretching the floor to 22 feet. But if he can, you know, in, drive to the hoop and then kick it out to a wide-open Tyler or a wide-open Goran or Duncan, why not do so if he can initiate that dribble handoff with Duncan that worked so well and was a deadly combination last season – Again, why not do so? Yes, he has to find a balance. He admitted so on Tuesday, and that was kind of what was overlooked in all of the criticism that he took the next day. And I think on Wednesday, it was a little bit more of that balance where he was looking to get other going, other players going. Again, 10 assists. Obviously, he was still initiating offense pretty widely for everybody else, but he was also more aggressive and looking for a shot. 13 total field goal attempts. So I, I think it's... A tricky balance, and I think with Tyler, he doesn't quite know how to try to get other players like Duncan going early on, and I think that's where you're, you're missing something. So if to, to me, while the Jimmy factor does play a huge part of the decision-making process for Spolstra moving forward, I, I think a change is necessary because Tyler just might not be ready yet to assume full playmaking duties, and maybe he won't have to. Again, with Jimmy in the, in, in the lineup – I think you could probably go with Jimmy, Duncan, Bam, and then maybe Tyler. And then that fourth spot, or rather that fifth spot, is still up in the air. But I also think that Avery Bradley has shown enough defensively and offensively where he could get some consideration as a starter. And I'm kind of thinking that while Mo Harkless probably is not going to work out in the future, why not see if you can try Andre Iguodala, even at this point in his career as a starter? I like the energy that he brought in right away. And we've seen from other players in the past throughout all of Spolstra's tenure, you know, we saw it with Myers Leonard last season, you can start the games, you can start the third quarter, and maybe he'll even come in as a closer, but I think Iguodala provides some of that defensive tenacity, versatility that Crowder provided last year. I think that's the starting lineup moving forward, or at least it should be. Uh, Avery Bradley at as the de facto point guard, just because he's the smallest player on the court. But you've got Jimmy out there as a two or three. You got Duncan out there as a two or three, a wing player. And then you get Andre Guadalla as a switchable defensive player who can come in there, disrupt uh, an opposing team's offense. And then you've got Bam doing everything that he does as well. And maybe that frees him up to look for his shot. 
Iguodala a solid enough shooter? Is he a better shooter than Mo, Mo Harkless? No, uh, probably not. But he's comparable, and so you're not sacrificing anything, but you're probably getting an upgrade defensively. Uh, at least a lot more basketball IQ anyway. Not a knock on Mo, but I think that's just a reality that we've seen from Iguodala last season and throughout his career is that he knows exactly the right play to make. He, he understands the timing of things so much better than anybody else in that roster, even though he doesn't have the athleticism to manifest it necessarily. I think he's still a better option. I would play him for a few minutes as a starter at the first and third quarter, bring him in there on occasion uh, once he gets a rest. But I think that's when you initiate, uh, you know, when you put in Tyler to initiate offense and to get him going, coming off the bench. I don't see it necessarily as a demotion. And that's up to Spolscher. Look, he, he has to kind of figure that out, uh, figure out a way to communicate to Tyler. This is where you're best. And look, he, he did talk about that post game that for Tyler, it's important for him to kind of get into that flow of offense where he's looking for a shot, where he's more comfortable looking for that opportunity to score and score free easily. And, and look, he's a natural at it. That's just the reality of who he is as a player. I don't think it's necessarily a demotion, and hopefully Tyler won't see it as well. Players, by and large, will say that they can accept any role as long as they're closing. I think there's also some comfort in being a starter, but there's also some timing, and you're go- he's, going, he'll, uh, he's going up against – Top defenses right now as a starter, maybe if he comes in off the bench, maybe he can kind of pick apart that first-team defense and maybe, again, that second-team defense as well once the reserves start kicking in there. And I like his ability to play off of Jimmy and others. And at that same time, during those five minutes when Andre's out on the floor, if he does wind up starting, that's when you get Duncan going early on because he can be so much more deadly once he knocks down a couple shots or two. And I think Andre's a little bit more... Uh, adept at sacrificing his own individual offense to get those other players going because he's just not looking to score at this point in his career. So to me, that's the starting lineup moving forward. I, I just I think it provides some of that balance. And, and again, who knows how this could look potentially with Jimmy as a starter? Maybe Tyler is more comfortable as a tertiary ball handler with Jimmy on the floor. We haven't been able to see that for so much of Miami's four games. It's impossible to really make a fine judgment. But I, I like the balance, and I like what Avery Bradley's been able to provide. He's another versatile defender, a guy, again, who can hound a number of wing players out on the perimeter, ball handlers. He's really, really good, and he's knocking down his shots from the perimeter, too. That's all you really need is for him to be a complementary scorer, not a primary scorer, and that's where the difference between him and Tyler is, is that Tyler is going to look to score, and that's where you get a really potent scoring punch off the bench. I mean, can you imagine that? If you get your more defensive-minded balance there with the starting lineup, you can stagger those minutes where you can take Avery Bradley, you start him, then you take Iguodala out, you put Tyler in there, then you get Bradley off the floor, bring Drogic in there, then you take Hero out or Jimmy out, bring Bradley back in there for some wing defense. That's the balance. You take out Bam and bring in Achua. I think that's where the rotation is headed. At least that's where I see it moving forward. I like that kind of versatility. Again, to Yuli's point, I think you've got enough players on the on the roster currently, and you're going to look to upgrade. That's for sure. And I'll talk about that in the next segment to see if there's other players available that you might be able to add to upgrade your roster. But I think there's enough right here that still provides more strength at their individual respective strengths, if that makes sense. Like they're like Avery Bradley is better at what he does individually than than some of the guys they had on the roster last year. I think even Jay Crowder was really, really good as a complimentary starter. 
but I think Bradley fits in there just as well too. And so I, I like his addition to the team. I like Achua being a big that you can bring off off the bench with some energy and some you know re- rebounding and defensive tenacity. I don't think the Myers experiment is going to last as much as I was, you know, not necessarily a fan, but I, I, I understood the reasoning behind trying to sign him for one year, paying him as much as you do in the hope of keeping some chemistry, of keeping him as a potential scorer on the bench or as a starter. It just hasn't worked. I just I feel like the way that the league has evolved to the point where you have so much versatility on offenses, especially as a starting unit. Myers' defensive weaknesses just make him unplayable. Uh, we even saw that against Brooke Lopez against you know on, on Tuesday. You know Lopez is not a particularly fleet-footed center, and yet Myers was basically toasted out there. He only wound up playing four minutes in that game and just being largely ineffective. So I just I don't know what the role is for him. I don't see Ty, uh, I'm sorry Kendrick getting any specific playing time moving forward. I just think they're both largely unplayable. Harkless hasn't shown anything. If you're going to invest in some kind of development and maybe take some chances, that's where you're getting guys like Achua and Okpala and maybe even Gabe Vincent, who does provide some spark offensively as well. And he did show some you know, defensive chops too. He, at least some willingness to engage. He, he's a little foul prone because he's just a little undersized and he's just not quite good enough to defend key ball handlers on, on opposing teams. But I, I like his intensity. The energy level that he brings is at least – as good or if not better than veteran players like Myers and Mo, And so I, I like the idea of tweaking the starting lineup. I think it makes a lot of sense to bring it that balance. Look, maybe you're sacrificing some long-range shooting and some playmaking ability, but look, I mean, that's what you have Jimmy and Bam out there. So if Jimmy's healthy, you've got two great playmakers in Jimmy and Bam. Then you've got some great floor spacing in Duncan Robinson. Avery can knock down that shot from the perimeter. Andre can knock down that shot from the perimeter, and he's also a very good playmaker. I think it just works defensively. It works offensively. You've got a good balance of scoring, playmaking, and defense. That's the kind of balance you're looking for. And then Spo just has to figure out how to bring in the other guys off the bench. I think Tyler can come in as your sixth man when you take Iguodala out. You bring Gorn in there eventually, take out Jimmy so he can rest, kind of flip-flop those minutes, take Avery out, etc. There's enough playmaking defense and scoring on this roster where if you can find that right balance you'll get a really good potent lineup and we won't have any specific weaknesses at any one area so I think it's time to make a change I hope that Tyler doesn't see it as a demotion but I wonder if it's going to take place I honestly I don't think it will that's my recommendation that's what I think should happen but I I'm not the coach of this team but I will have to answer your listener questions next so make sure you stay tuned for that here on Locked on Heat that you can always reach me via email at LockdownHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskHelloHeat. And of course, please subscribe to the show and leave a review if possible. Uh, a lot of questions today. Thank you so much for, again, sticking with me and sending in those questions. This one comes in from Heat Lifer, who writes in, what's the main thing that changed for the Heat between Tuesday and Wednesday outside of the Bucks being on complete fire on Tuesday? Well, that was a big part of it. I think also, like I mentioned before, that starting lineup Certainly was a little bit more adept at slowing down Milwaukee. I think they caught they probably would have caught fire early on if not for guys like Meyer. I'm sorry, if not for Avery and 
uh, Andre Iguodala playing the kind of defense that they can play at a high level. Uh, you know, they, I think Bradley on Middleton in particular kept him from going off. Where if you if you you know you know Adetokounmpo is going to be able to score at will because of his incredible athleticism and his ability to draw fouls, but with Middleton. Not to say that it's necessarily a crapshoot, but there are times where he does check out, which has been the biggest criticism of him, even from his biggest fans, is that he's not always going to be the most consistent scorer. He was pretty bad on Wednesday night, and I think a lot of that had to do with Bradley in the lineup. So if Middleton had gotten going without Bradley in there, if, say, Mo Harkless had been guarding him, uh, it probably would have been a different outcome for Miami. So I think that was a big part of it. And you have to give some credit to Miami uh, as a team, as individual players, they do have pride, as I mentioned before. They wanted to make sure that they could find a way to win. They didn't want to get shown up a second straight night, especially with Jimmy out of the lineup. Next man up, as much as you hear it and it becomes cliche to hear from Heat players that it is all about stepping up and finding a way to contribute, they do really believe that. You can't really just look at, at Jimmy's absence and go, well, that's it. We're going to throw it in the towel. We don't have a chance of winning. So I like the fact that everybody was able to find a way to step up and contribute, and I think that was a big part of it as well. So one, that starting lineup shut down my, uh, you know, Milwaukee's incredibly potent scoring. For the most part, look, they still put up 108 points, and they still shot pretty well from the perimeter, but they were able to limited guys like uh, Drew Holiday and Middleton who had really just gotten it going on Tuesday night. So that was the difference maker for me. Darius writes in, do you think that we should get a George Hill or Derrick Rose to add another ball handler or maybe a trade for LaMarcus Aldridge? So those are two very different things. I see where Darius is going here. You would look at Miami's roster and obviously with Duncan, Jimmy, and Bam, Stuck in the starting lineup, uh, you know, obviously they're penciled in. Uh, I'm sorry, they're written in and pen as far as the starters are concerned. It's all about shoring up the alleged point guard position and the four spot in that starting lineup. That's where LaMarcus and or George Hill come into play. <sighs> Look, I, I will honestly say I'm not a big fan of Derrick Rose. Uh, I know he's been somewhat decent for the Pistons. I don't even know what his contract situation is. I don't think... I don't think he's going to get bought out. I don't know if Miami wants to make a trade for him. Um, I I could see why they would want to, given Miami's history of not necessarily reclamation projects, but taking in older veterans at the point of their career where they're looking to win a title. Yes, Derrick Rose does make sense. Uh, I don't know that you necessarily want to make a trade and give up some potential assets. What, I mean, what are you going to send out? Is it going to be an even swap for a Kendrick Nunn and a – protected second round pick that might never convey I, I don't know what Detroit is looking for probably not I, I think you'd probably want a little bit more balance there um, I, I'm not sure what they're looking for in a proposed Derrick Rose trade and as for George Hill he's on the Oklahoma City Thunder roster I think there's a great relationship there between Sam Presti the general manager and team president and Pat Riley so there's a good open line of communication there I think they've done deals in the past I could see them working out some deal for Hill. I also think that Hill might eventually get bought out if they can negotiate a price. But Hill, at this point in his career, probably wants to go to a much more clear contending team. The L.A. teams have been strongly linked to him ever since he was acquired by Oklahoma City during the offseason, brief as it was, and as recently as it was. So it's all up to Hill. This is a lot like the the Joe Johnson acquisition from a couple of years ago when Miami did wind up making a, a deep run in the playoffs. And Joe Johnson chose to come to Miami over a team like Cleveland uh, where, you know, maybe they were seen as a much more likely 
contending team. And in fact, they did wind up winning the title that year. So for Hill, who knows? Uh, does he see himself as a Miami type player? He can come in and contribute. Yeah. I don't know that you necessarily think of Hill as being a quality starter either or contributor. I mean, he's a guy who can chip in. Yeah, he, he played some minutes for Milwaukee last year. He's playing some minutes for Oklahoma City, backing up Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's not the focus for them moving forward. He's a nice fit. He's a, a defensive player who can still, you know, again, score from the perimeter, can occasionally get to the rim. He's a nice fit. I just I don't know what it will take to get him. Uh, you know, there are other players. It's going to be a weird – a weird transactional period for the the NBA, I, I think, because of the compressed nature of the schedule. I know that David Locke, uh, president of the network, had said that he could see a lot of teams making moves early on in the regular season because, you know, by game 10, you're either in it or out of it. I think that might be a little overstating it. That, those, those, that was not something he said directly. I, I think I'm just kind of paraphrasing his overall point of view is that, you know, early in the season – you're going to see yourself as a buyer, as a seller, and you want to make a move right away to either shore up or to go ahead and clear cap space so that you can develop younger players on your roster. I think Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, they have Al Horford there. They've got George Hill there. Uh, none of those I, – I, well, let's say Horford's not getting bought out of his contract. So it's just a matter of finding the right taker. Maybe you have to include another player or some first-round picks in order to move that deal. Or you could just eat the cost of paying a guy like Horford towards the tail end of his career. As for Aldridge, I, I don't know how the Spurs view him. I, I think, honestly, they still want him the roster. I think they, they see themselves as a playoff team. And if that's the case, I think they prefer to keep LaMarcus there. Uh, that's just my own take uh, from what I've heard from San Antonio people. I don't think he's likely to get bought out. And while you know he might, might wind up being a free agent uh, next season, they'll just ride it out. Why not? I don't think that you're going to get anything from him. I don't think that you're necessarily going to buy him out. I don't think you're going to trade him either if you're San Antonio and you see yourself still as a playoff contending team. So it'll be interesting it'll be i think we'll give it a couple of months still and i know the trade deadline is set for you know when is it now and i i can't even remember exactly when it is i think it's march you know obviously normally is february but given the weird schedule i think it's mid-march i don't have the exact date off the top of my head but i, I think let's wait until the end of january before we start to see teams clearly at the bottom and whether or not they might be able to waive some of those players or whether or not you might be able to pilfer some of the players currently on those rosters. With the Spurs, I think we'll just wait a little bit longer because I think they still see themselves as a playoff team, and if that's the case, you'd rather have a player like Aldridge on there. This next question comes in from Jeff, who writes in, wouldn't it be fun if Miami beat the Bucks every time they play for the rest of the season, including a four-game sweep in the playoffs, and finish with a negative scoring differential and head-to-head -head because of that you know, 47-point drubbing on Tuesday night. Yes, I guess it would be fun. Uh, I don't know that necessarily you want to match up with this team in the playoffs. I, I still like Miami's chances against them, obviously, uh, but uh, <laughs> that seems so far away, Jeff. And, and you know, listening to this show as often as you do and, and sending in questions as often as you do, I can't look that far ahead. Right now, it's all about the present. But sure, it'll be fun. I, I think that would be an interesting, weird tweak in, in the statistics there. Uh, this next question comes up from Heating Up Podcast, 
who writes in, I'm not even sure how to do this, but is there a way to look at offensive rating post the 18th turnover? Since this team became much more disciplined with the ball, the offense has been much more explosive. Uh, to heating up podcast point, yes, the Heat did wind up having, again, 22 overall turnovers. And those last four turnovers uh, towards the end of the game when it looked like they were pretty clearly running away with a victory, I, I can't figure it out either. I, I don't know if there's a way of, of tweaking it so that you, your offensive rating is from a certain point forward. Uh, I know a lot of those turnovers came early on when they, they looked very disjointed. And I have to give some credit to Milwaukee's defense. They do play pretty well, especially with Drew Holiday and Giannis Antetokounmpo, Middleton, Brooke Lopez, all of them very good defenders individually and as a team. So, uh, you know, I, I think they just found a way to find the right balance, the right energy. That might be oversimplifying things. And you, that's not the right science or the right statistic to kind of quantify those th- those kinds of impacts. But, you know, you saw Tyler Hero embrace his role as a primary scorer when he didn't have to handle the ball as much. You saw Goron just say, you know what, I'm going to take over. I'm going to lead the offense and find my own way of scoring and getting everybody going. You saw guys like Olinick stepping up and dunk, and I'm sorry, and, and Bam Adebayo continuing to, to find his groove offensively. So I think it's a combination of things. But, yes, discipline certainly played a part. Figuring out that balance – understanding the the players that you're sharing the floor with, all those things tied together. So, uh, yes, there was probably a little bit of a, a change overall, but I don't know if it necessarily is something that you can quantify with a statistic. Uh, this last question comes in from Trish, who writes, is Gabe Vincent a better prospect at point guard than Tyler? No, I don't think so. Uh, I've got to be honest with you. I think you know it's easy to kind of fall in love with a, a, a prospect or a a player with some development there I I don't think I think Gabe Vincent is just a very small undersized shooting guard if anything he's a guy who's going to be more of a score first player and has been historically throughout his career there's still not a lot of information on him as far as his uh, overall evolution he is a a great scorer a great shooter and I think that's where he sees himself kind of more of a you know a a Wayne Ellington type than a, a true point guard so you know just a little undersized so i i don't see him as a point guard i don't even see him as a legitimate prospect with a chance of really making an impact there i like him being able to provide some offense up the bench especially in a, on a weird season like this where you're going to need to go into that depth a little bit more you're going to see guys like chris silva and max Struess on occasion you know playing more minutes than they probably would if this was a regular 82 game season during the a, a normal schedule but, uh, you know, I, I, he has some skill, and, and you want to be able to maximize those and put him in the right position to show off those skills. And I don't think it's as a point guard. It's more as an undersized scorer, and I think that's where he fits best. Again, limited playing time tonight, look good as a scorer, not a typical point guard, and probably not going to be expected to handle a lot of the ball or initiate offense either. So not a good prospect at point guard, but still a fine player to have on your roster, especially during this weird season. If you're looking to get into fantasy basketball and you need some advice, it's important that you have a reliable source. And believe me, nobody's more trustworthy than Josh Lloyd, the host of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. He knows more than any other fantasy basketball podcast host. He's a great resource. And believe me, you'll want to subscribe to the number one fantasy basketball podcast, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, wherever you get podcasts. If you want to get your team every day, just start by asking your smart device to play Locked On Heat as soon as you get in your car. I'm David Ramil, signing off and thanking you, as always, for your support.
Ja, ja.